Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Caught Looking at Baseball podcast hosted by myself, Max Greenfield, and my co-host, Ryan Garcia. Ryan, how are you doing today? Well, uh, we're at the end of the regular season. That means we have postseason baseball. We can finally kind of, like, we have all the final numbers. I kind of, I texted to this to you like this. Like, it's like we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I'm pretty sure it's the other way around, but who cares? Um, but, you know, you're just, you're just putting the final ball in the season. You, you know, we're not, it's not like we're, it's not like anything. There were some seeding things determined today, and we'll get into that. Um, but for the most part, like 80 to 90% of games today didn't really matter, all things considered. It was just a nice way to end the season. You know, afternoon games, it's a Sunday. I think it's kind of the perfect day for baseball to end, if you get what I'm saying. Uh, you know, it's not, you know, falls right around the corner. And now you get to focus on October baseball. And this is one of the most exciting playoff pools because I think there isn't a dominant team, which we're going to get into. Yeah, I mean, it was such a such a strange year i mean the if you follow the la- the final game of the season was actually the uh nationals in atlanta today uh and the nationals ended up taking the lead in the ninth and marcelo zuna hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth to tie the home run record uh for a single team and the nationals still won and that i felt like that game kind of just like summed up how odd the season was that the nationals beat atlanta in the final series of the year um to to take it in to, to somehow end the season. Uh, but it was just an extremely fun and extremely strange year. Just a lot of things happened. Um, starting with the AL East, obviously Baltimore ended up winning the division. They went 101 and 61. Tampa finished in second, went 99 and 63. Uh, Toronto went 89 and 73 to get a playoff spot. Uh, the Yankees went 82 and 80, did not make the postseason. And then Boston went 78 and 84. Um, obviously, Baltimore, big surprise here. Um, though, um, I think to your detriment a little bit, though, right? Yeah, I just lost $50. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I didn't know that. I, I think the big thing was you don't you don't believe progression is always linear. And then, like, going from not making the playoffs to being the best team in the AL is a, is a big leap to ask for any team. But, you know, I feel like all year Baltimore was like, oh, they're not real, right? Like, they're going to fall apart at some point. And they didn't. Like, shout out to them. Like, every step of the way, every – like, I feel like at the end of every month, especially towards the end, it's like, all right, this is the month where they just prove their frauds. And they – I look, they could lose in the first round. I think this year proved that they're legit. Like, you don't win 100-something games and win the AL East of all divisions if you're not a legitimate, a legitimately good team. I don't, I don't know if that's a hot take or not. Yeah, no, they're they're listen, plus one twenty nine run differential, maybe not as good as their record indicates, but they're a good team. They they can hit. They have a really solid bullpen. Sure, they have some starting pitching questions, but Grayson Rodriguez really picked it up. Kyle Bradish is really good. Um, like they, they have two arms that are that are good enough. I don't know if they're as good as the other arms in the division or other arms in the American League, I think, to maybe come out of there, but we'll we'll you know get to that in a bit. But yeah, I mean Baltimore is very good. Um I, I lean towards. I think just Toronto only winning eighty nine and the Yankees winning eighty two, like just kind of summed up just how strange of a year it was. There was just a lot of weird stuff that happened this year. Both those teams, I think most people predicted to be at the top of their division. Um, Toronto never really got it going at any time, but I think just a bunch of other teams just didn't do enough to really detract from that, and so that's where they kind of able to take advantage and then the Yankees were just downright bad at different times you know they just they just had a really really brutal year 
um, which we'll, we'll get into it in a later episode, but there's no real reason to discuss it further. But and yeah, Boston was basically the same team as last year. Just not that good, I guess. Yeah, the AL East was, I mean, Toronto and look, Toronto, fortunately, they got into the postseason. Here's the beautiful thing about the Major League Baseball playoffs. Everything that like Toronto has narrative wise of like being just a perennial disappointment in terms of like every year feels like the year, but they just don't have that dominant regular season. All it takes is what? three or four good weeks and none of that matters, right? Like it, it doesn't matter that you maybe never won the division with this core or you never won a hundred games or you never had that quote unquote dominant team. It like, I promise you it will not matter. Like Toronto, they, they, they're weird because they're what they're good at was not something you expected them to be good at. They are a really, really, really well-rounded rotation. Uh, Kevin Gosman, I know he's prone to blow ups. He kind of feels like last year's Garrett Cole, where it's like, you know, he's good for, three or four just amazing starts in that one start where it's just like, he is not getting out of the third inning, right? Or he's not getting out of the second inning. Um, and then you have Barrios, you have Kikuchi, you have Bassett. I don't know how Bassett stuff is going to play in the postseason. It didn't play great last year, but I don't want to let that sit too much. I think having three guys who are like at the very least this year, at least been pretty good. Number three starters is a good thing. Um, it, it allows you, you can shorten your rotation to postseason in the wild card series. They're going to be allowed to shorten the rotation. Um, you know, not having to pitch Gosman today really helps. Uh, they have some guys getting hot at the right times. Like Varsho has, has played a lot better in the month of September. It's just a matter of like, Hey, can Vladimir Guerrero jr. Be 20, 21 Vladimir Guerrero jr. For three weeks. If he can, Toronto might be a World Series champion. I mean, it, it depends. They're a high-variance team. I could see them losing in two games to the Twins. I could see them winning the World Series. They're a weird team. I don't even know how to feel about them. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on there. And I think this offseason is arguably the biggest in their tenure of this core because, I mean, some of them are coming up on free agency in a couple years, for one. Um, and two, like, their pitching staff, while it was very good this year, is not young. It's on the older side. Gosman, I double check real quick, but I believe uh, Gosman is what thirty four, right? I believe so. And hasn't his velocity dropped a little bit? If I'm not mistaken, oh, he's he's thirty two. He's thirty two, but he turns thirty. He'll be thirty three next year. Gosman is thirty two. Gotcha. I mean. I don't know how I feel about this pitch. I, I don't know. This pitching staff is definitely not bad. It's clearly good. And also, like, guys like Jordan Hicks in the back end of that bullpen, Jordan Romano, whenever you have enough high, like, just elite stuff plus, even if the command is kind of shoddy, you don't really care. Um, I, I feel like that plays well in October. Like, there are a lot of guys who they're just stuff plus demons, and then they just show up in October. I'll take stuff over command in the postseason. I, I think that they have enough to do it pitching-wise. Again, it's just a matter of, like, is this offense the offense that we've seen the last two years before this one or the one that we saw this year, which is, what, like 10th or 9th in home runs in the American League? Like, it, it this year, this, does, this doesn't feel like a typical Toronto Blue Jays team, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, they, they're they weird. It fits with the weirdness of the season, but they're going to be a big offseason for them. Their pitching staff's not young. It's on the older side. They They definitely need to make some moves to fill some things out. You know, it wouldn't be a bad time as a team to extend Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Take a chance on like a deal that he will age fine because you know he he certainly has all the tools, but you know they have to deal with Bo Bichette as well. Um, you know they have Dalton Varsho, but you know Kevin Kiermeyer he could go back, might walk. Alejandro Kirk 
they have him and Danny Jansen as well. It's just there's a lot of questions about that team. Um, moving to the AL Central, though, uh, Minnesota won this division pretty handily. They went 87 and 75. They were the only team in this division to finish above 500. The rest of the division is utter garbage. Cleveland actually ended up finishing third, going 76 and 86, while the Tigers kind of surprised and went 78 and 84. They won uh, seven of their last 10. Uh, you know, this isn't a good division by any means. They had two 100 loss te- uh, teams in this division. Minnesota set up for the postseason, but Man, hey, if you're a fan of an AL Central team, it was a long year. Yeah, uh, and even the Twins, I feel like it, it. The the Twins are weird. They're not. They're clearly one of the least, if not the least, talented team in the American League, uh, at least in the playoff pool. Uh, well, no, definitely in the playoff pool. They're definitely not the worst team in the American League. Um, but like they have, they have two horses at the top of the rotation. They're fit to play very well in the wild card series. Pablo Lopez and Sony Gray. Pound for pound, how many pitchers in this postseason are much better than them? Uh, especially when you're facing Toronto, and as we I, I kind of alluded to, Gosman is a little bit prone to blow-ups. Lopez is as well. I'm not trying to discount that. Um, and then, you know, there feels like a clear drop-off after Gosman. Gray and Lopez, I think they're doing Lopez game one, Gray game two. That is like having Sonny Gray pitch game two, you're going to have the pitching advantage. So, uh, Minnesota hits a lot of home runs. They're kind of built for the postseason offensively. Um this is just what they do. Like, I know that Toronto, they're going to throw two righties in the first two games. But, man, the Minnesota's got left-handed guys who can bop. They got Walner. They got Kirloff. They got Kepler. Uh, trying to think. They, they they have Gallo, too. I don't know if he's healthy. I'm pretty sure he's healthy and he's going to be active for the series. Um, but they have – I feel like they have enough. I, I think Minnesota's also one of these, like – could you imagine if they won the World Series? I don't think it's that out of reach. Also, Edward Julian. How can I forget about Edward Julian? Um, they have the platoon matchups. They have the starting pitching. I think they have the bullpen t- talent. I-, I think Minnesota's... I don't know if this is a hot take. I think Minnesota's better than the- than Toronto. Like, talent-wise, like just roster how it's going to play in the postseason. I know the Twins play on the AL-, AL Central, but I like how they match. I like how they fit for a postseason series. I- I- that's how I feel. Yeah, I, I, I like how Minnesota's set up. Um, Joe Ryan is also a third option, like, and he's good. Um, you know, th- they they have they got some depth. Their bullpen is really good. Um, and they have two really good arms at the top, and they hit a bunch of bombs. Like, they're set up to do pretty well in the postseason. They just got to get hot at the right time. But this division's miserable. I mean, maybe, who, who knows what it looks like next year. Kansas City is years away. Chicago's even more than that Cleveland's in a weird spot. They got to figure out what to do. I mean, they have Jose Ramirez, they have Shane Bieber, like with those two guys, hypothetically, you'd think you should be competitive, but clearly they weren't. So how do they do with that in the AO West? <laughs> what a funny division. Um, the Astros and the Rangers actually tied to go 90 and 72 each, but Astros had a better record against the Rangers, I believe. So ended up winning the division uh, Rangers just choked here, but the Mariners went 88 and 74, just missed out. Um, they were a game back at the wild card. Um, you know, feels bad. They're in, they're at a tipping point. You know, talk about a big offseason for Toronto, it's a big offseason for Seattle as well. Um, you know, they they got to find a way to just make that extra push. There have been guys available that could have put them over the top. I understand JP Crawford had a great year this year and immensely fun player, and they're a fun team, but. Uh, they did not do enough to make the pushes that they needed to make. Uh, the Angels 
went 73 and 89 and are about to embark on, I think, one of the roughest stretches we're ever going to see in baseball history if they end up trading Mike Trout. Um, and then Oakland was predictably awful at 50 and 112. Sell the team. God damn it. Um, I, I, Texas should be better than they are. Houston should be better than they are. Seattle should be better than they are. But they all just weren't. Like, all of them disappointed in various degrees here. And I'm curious to see what all of them do in the offseason to try and combat that. Houston got hot at the right time. They won four in a row to end the year, and that that pushed them out. Uh, most people will probably put them somewhere in the ALCS or in the World Series again because that's what they do. Um, but I don't know. This just feels like an odd year for them. But they said that about 20. You know, they had a weird year in 2020, and then they ended up going to the – ALCS, and then two years after that, they were in the World Series both times. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with them in the offseason, but Seattle's got some questions they have to answer. Yeah, I mean, Texas, I think... Um, I think Texas, like... I, I know that because of how high they set the bar in the first half, it makes it it would make it really hard to stomach them getting like bounced in the first round or bounced in the ALDS as like acceptable. Um, but all things considered, it's a successful season, right? Like all things considered, yeah, they made the playoffs, right? right? You like... you you did what you were trying to do, and you had to like your your big investment this offseason was Jacob Degrom, and he and he got hurt. Like Evaldi got hurt multiple times. I know that that's making excuses, quote unquote, but like. All things considered, they have they they have Wyatt Lang- Wyatt Langford on the way. Evan Carter looks great. Those are two of those are two amazing outfield prospects. You have the money to just like just splurge on pitching, man. If they can't develop pitching, they'll just buy it. Like who cares? Um, their owner seems eager to spend. I think it's a successful year for them. The Ashes, as you mentioned, you know, weird year. They their starting catcher isn't even the best catcher on the team. Their starting center fielder uh, doesn't play enough, even though he's clearly one of the best players on the team. They're a weird, 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 weird team, but I think they're still so talented that as long as they, as long as Dusty Baker makes somewhat decent decisions, they'll probably be very good in the postseason. They'll probably be very good in general. Um, and then, as you mentioned with the Mariners, it's very telling that two guys in Cal Raleigh and then JP Crawford backed him up, I believe, in a separate quote, um, just kind of kind of come out and say, "Hey, we we need more. Like we we need that investment." Um, and I'm glad they did. I'm very happy that Cal Raleigh didn't back off that quote either. He said he apologized for like the heat of the moment, but he didn't back off of his quote. I think it's important. I think it's you know you you gotta have as a player. I'm glad that he's able to. He feels comfortable enough, and his clubhouse supports him enough to come out and say something like that. They should have signed a shortstop. That 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 should have been a thing that happened. JP Crawford should be playing second base, right? Like, imagine the Mariners with that one more that just instead of having terrible second base production and having to rely on like Colton Wong, they went out and got you know uh, even a Trey Turner, right? Like I know Trey Turner got off slow, but he kind of did what the Mariners did, which was get hot in the second half. You're were they a Trey Turner away from winning the world, winning the World Series? I don't know, but were they a Trey Turner away from making the playoffs? Absolutely, right? And then in this type of postseason environment, I think they matched up really well. They do decent against high velocity. They have amazing starting pitching. Their starting pitching can help them, you know, improve a great bullpen. They would have an even an even better lineup. Like I, this team was built to play in the postseason, but they didn't get the financial support from ownership, and I think that's kind of the sad story here. Yeah, I. It just they never. Cal Riley was right that they didn't do enough. 
should he have said what he said? You know, that's a different story, right? I think it, I do think it's interesting that we complain sometimes when players say things, but then we want them to be more honest. And when they are honest, we're like, not like that. So I'm not going to say that he shouldn't have said what he said. He did. And I don't, I, I think he's right that they should have done more. I thought his comment that, you know, trading Paul Seawald was a mistake. Definitely disagree with that. Like, I don't think trading Paul Seawald was a mistake. Um, I think that they were right to, you know, go ahead and make that move. But I, I yeah, I, it's just interesting that they didn't do enough. I'm curious to see what Texas does in the offseason, how they, as you said, like there was a decent amount that went wrong for them, but, you know, outside of their control, not really going to say DeGrom was outside of their control. They you kind of knew what you were getting in that regard, like signing up for an injury prone guy who's hasn't had a good track record of health and then paid him a lot of money. Get what you paid for a little bit there, but, and then, yeah, I mean, Houston can easily win it all. If, you know, Dusty Baker just plays, you know, Yiner Diaz and Chas McCormick every day. Like it's just, if he does that, then sure. They're a big threat, but he won't. So we'll see. Uh, moving to the NL East, uh, Atlanta wrapped this division up back in what? You think June, July? I don't know, but they, yeah, they, they wrapped it of, up a long time ago. They just like beat the shit out of, out of everybody for like a few months. I know they kind of slowed down a little bit in September, but like that's kind of expected for a good two or three months, man. They were just beating the brakes off of everybody. It was crazy. It was, I mean, even their offense now, like they just beat the brakes out of everybody. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, what? They clinched the playoff spot on what September 10th, right? Like it was, it was, they've been, they've been on cruise control for a while. So I'm curious to see what, you know, they also, they get a little bit of a break now. So it'll help them out maybe a little bit to go into the playoffs and kind of reset their pitching. Their pitching needs some help, which we'll discuss in a bit. Uh, Philadelphia went 90 and 72, ended up making the postseason. Um, they're a solid team. They just, they, they do, they got good pitching at the top. Open is inconsistent, but has some great arms, and they hit a ton of home runs. I mean, once again, this is a team designed to do well in October. They're going to get that chance. Uh, much to the chagrin of MLB executive burner, but to the happiness of me, the Marlins ended up making the postseason. They went 84 and 77 uh, and ended up barely making it by, technically speaking, They'll go 84 and 78, I believe, actually, because they'll count the Mets game as a loss tomorrow. Uh, and they'll tie. No. Yes, they'll tie the Diamondbacks and be a game up um, when it's all said and done on the Cubs for not for the wild card spot. But yeah, I mean, this team, this Marlins team, uh, I wouldn't call them very good. I would call them just good enough is what I would say. And they, they played well at the right time. Jake Berger was an incredible acquisition for them. He really gave them what they needed. Uh, Luis Arise was great this year. Um, you know, Jesus Lazardo really took that step forward that everybody kind of wanted to see for him as a pitching prospect and everything. He really had a great year. Uh, obviously losing Max Meyer, Sandy Alcantara, and Trevor Rogers is pretty tough, but like they really found a way to put it together beyond that. Um, not expecting much beyond there uh the mets went 74 and 87 um probably the biggest disappointment in baseball this year arguably one of the biggest disappointments in baseball history i mean just this team should have been good um and they were not they were just awful we've discussed it at length in the past um and then the nationals went 71 and 91 they actually showed flashes of being okay at different points this year um they're not quite there yet but you know they got james wood dylan cruz down there 
Um, they need pitching pretty desperately. They're not very good at developing pitching. So I'm curious to see what they do to try and take the next step as a team. Next year's a big year for them. They, they need to show another tangible step forward or else things are going to go bad. But three playoff teams out of the NL East and three playoff teams out of the AL East. So clearly the East coast has got something going on in baseball this year. Yeah. The way I look at it is Atlanta is clear. Atlanta is clearly like the, they're the favorites. There's a reason they're the favorites. They've deserved it. They they have earned it. They are one of the premier franchises in baseball right now. Couldn't keep their, couldn't sing their praise anymore. Unfortunately. Um, now looking at the Phillies, a Philly, the Phillies just feel like the most fun team in the National League. Like, I don't know. I, I don't even love the Phillies. Like, I, I don't like the Phillies very much in terms of, like, the city of Philadelphia, all that stuff. But they hit home runs. That ballpark goes crazy. And they have two pitchers who, on any given day, could be the best pitcher in baseball. Um, I think that's might that that might be enough. That's what got them to a World Series last year. The question is, will it get it to them to a World Series this year? I don't know. Like, if I'm banking on a team that isn't a top two team in the NL to make the World Series, I think that's a bet I'm not going to make. But they're certainly a team that's going to compete. They're certainly a team that's going to contend. They're certainly a team that, you know, could go out and win the, the whole thing. Um, and then Miami, I I just don't think they have the star talent. I don't think they, they don't have that, like, insane bat. Like, I know Bryce Harper didn't have, like, his MVP, like, 170 WRC plus self. But Bryce Harper can always just do that, right? I don't think anybody in Miami can do that. I know Jazz Chisholm's pretty fun, but I just don't see him doing that. Atlanta has like three or four guys who can do that. The Dodgers have guys who can do that. Even Arizona has like a position player superstar, and that's Corbin Carroll. You know, we'll get into that later, but uh, I just don't think Miami has that superstar position player. Um, and, and who knows? Maybe they find one eventually. Maybe Jazz develops into one. I don't know. Um, but as of right now, it feels like they're a year early and that's good. That's awesome. I'm glad they're a year early. And as you mentioned, MLB executive burner, where are you, bro? Like, I don't see you tweeting. I don't see you talking about it. I do not see Kim. I don't see anything about the Miami Marlins in his mentions. So are not in his mentions, in his tweets lately and understandably. So, um, I hope he feels bad about it. And I hope he has to deal with the flack of that for a very long time. Um, but Miami just, they feel like they're a year early and that's fine, but I don't think they're going to do anything in the postseason. Be curious to see if the Marlins uh, bring back Kim Ang. Uh, her contract's up. They would be foolish not to. And if they don't, then some team's going to get a new uh, head of baseball operations because clearly she is quite good at her job. Um, moving to the NL Central, this division, I always kind of like going into the year, I thought it was the Cardinals to lose. Uh, they certainly did lose it. They went 71 and 91. They were really bad. Um, they could hit, but they could not pitch. Um, so it's be curious to see where the, they go. Uh, Milwaukee ended up winning the division. They went 92 and 70. Uh, the Cubs, a monumental collapse here at the end of the year. Um, they went 83 and 79 and finished a game back of both the Diamondbacks and the Marlins and out of the playoff picture. Um, Reds went 82 and 80. Um, something to build off of. There's a lot to like there, especially on the position player side. Um, Matt McClain, Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, Spencer Steer, uh, TJ Friedel. There's there's a lot of talent out there in Cincinnati. Uh, they just have to kind of take that next step. Uh, Pittsburgh went 76 and 86. This seemed like, in the beginning of the year, it looked like they were actually not half bad. And I remember saying to people like, yeah, they'll probably win like 70 to 75 games this year. And they did. Um, they needed a little bit more. Um, 
they they desperately need some offense to kind of like get them over the hump. The top of their lineup is not bad though. You know, Cabrian Hayes, Brian Reynolds, Jack Sawinski. Um, you know, you get O'Neill Cruz in there, you know, get another player or two, and all of a sudden that lineup's pretty good. They just need to figure it out with the pitching as well. Um, but overall, this division, while at one point in time could have produced three playoff teams, ended up only producing one. Um this division's not awful. It's not great. It's kind of just okay. And that's how it ended up playing out. I think Milwaukee, you know, again, they're a weird team. They've always been weird. They rely heavily off of their pitching staff. Their pitching staff is good. Um, it's tough to win in the postseason if you don't hit a lot of home runs. Um, they don't. I mean, they're not a, you know, an absurdly powerful team, but they got guys who, if they got hot, could hit home runs. Um, so I'm curious to see what they do in the postseason. I really like their front three, though. Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta. I mean, it's really hard to beat those three in a postseason series. If Because if they're all on, I mean, it's tough. Those are three very good pitchers. And Devin Williams at the back end of the game is obviously immensely talented and a very good closer. So they have a lot of things that you like, but not enough. And so ultimately I, I, I do find them when we talk about the postseason, you know, once again, coming up short and, you know, Craig council is a free agent. So there's some rumors around him as well. And I, again, an interesting off season for the brewers ahead, but props to them. They always kind of find a way to be at least relevant, right? Someone in the playoff picture, if not winning the division, a solid team. Yeah, look, the Brewers, For I, I want to give credit to the Brewers front office, uh, not ownership, but the front office. They've always just kind of done a really good job of putting out, as you mentioned, competitive teams. Even last year, they didn't make the playoffs, but they were competitive. Um, they, they always seem to just get more out of their roster than people expect. Um, you know, I think the Brewers are in a position where if this team would was willing to spend, this team could be really good. Because as you mentioned, that front three is not just good. Man, how many teams have a better front three just in general like if Corbin Carroll plays to the back of his baseball card if Brandon Woodruff the, plays to the back of his baseball card which he has uh and in Freddie Peralta I know he tweaked the slider a little bit went with more of a gyro slider than a, a sweeping slider um if those three guys are on I mean you're not scoring and if that bullpen I mean that bullpen's deadly you're also not scoring but the thing is guess who also isn't scoring the Milwaukee Brewers um much like my tinder run they're just not they just can't put up runs they can't score dude they can't do anything in the in the postseason offensively um I just don't trust them to do anything I, I don't I really don't trust them to do anything man I I just don't I, I think the Brewers get swept man I don't I don't think they're very good I don't think they have the offense I don't I just I'm sorry if Carson's listening to this I'm sorry man I just I just don't think they're very good offensively. Yeah, I don't think they're like, they just don't have the firepower to make enough noise. I agree with you. Cubs, uh, I thought they could have made some noise because I do think they had the firepower. Um, but man, what a monumental collapse in Chicago. I mean, just, it, it really just, the wheels spun off very fast. I would still call it a very successful year for Chicago. You know, 83 and 79 is certainly a lot better than where I thought they'd be. Uh, their farm system is good. Um, they've been trying to churn out talent like it's, you know, at a pretty good clip now. They're pitching arms. They don't have any 
Kate Horton's very good, but they don't have a ton of guys where like, oh, that's a frontline guy. But they're good at like, hey, he's okay. He's good. He, he can get outs. Um, and so I'm curious to see how those guys kind of respond and maybe take the next step. Um, they do have, you know, they got a great year from Cody Bellinger. He was a four-win player at a 134, 135 WRC+. Plus. Um, so be interesting to see if they attempt to bring him back. His market, which we'll discuss in their time, is very interesting. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what a monumental collapse in Chicago, man. Just it, it, it just got sad at the end. Yeah, man, uh, that it sucks. Like I, they went for it. They did. I think, as you mentioned, like this is an encouraging year. If you, if as a Cubs fan, you were told, Hey, you're going to go 83 and 79. Uh, Justin Steele's going to take, you know, another step forward. Uh, you're going to, you're going to win the Cody Ballinger signing. You're going to get plus value out of that. Um, you're, you're going to have some guys that like Nico Horner had a pretty solid year. Say Suzuki, I think really took off in year two. It looked a little bit concerning in the first half, but the second half looked really good. He made the adjustments. That's what you love to see. Um, you know, you feel good about Ian Happen, say Suzuki out there. Christopher Morrell had a really nice year. I know Christopher Morrell, like his, his, his underlying metrics don't look great. Cause he just, he does not make good swing decisions, but he's honestly, he's awesome. I think Christopher Morrell is the type of guy that plays well in the Poison series. I think they'll be fine. They, they, they're they a big market team for the most part. Again, a year ahead of schedule. Nobody thought they were going to make the playoffs. Um, they came close. Overall, like it's hard to say this isn't a successful year for the Cubs. It's just that relative to the expectations from mid-September, this is a disappointing season. But I, I think that if you take a step back, and I think Cubs fans in a couple of months, you know, give it some time, wait till November, maybe mid-November, kind of step back, realize what you guys did this year and be happy with it. Um, you're clearly the team in your division that I think is the best ran when you consider finances, when you consider just how willing your team is to spend combined with your process as a front office and all that stuff. Um, I think they should be, feel, they should feel good about next year, especially since like, as you mentioned, or you kind of hinted at, what do the Brewers do after this year, especially if they don't do anything in the postseason? So we'll see from there. Cincinnati, I like Cincinnati. I think they're fun. They don't pitch, but who cares? They hit. I love that. Pittsburgh, they just kind of – I know they won 70-something games, but do you feel like Pittsburgh's ever going to be a World Series contender? Like, a lot of their guys in their core are in year, like, two or three. Keller's in, like, year four. I don't know. I just, I think this division is very much like the Cubs are going to, the Cubs and Reds are going to maybe take another leap in, in, in 2024. Maybe the Cardinals put their, you know, figure it all out pitching wise and just bring in a bunch of guys who get whiffs and run it back with the offense. But I just don't feel good about the Pirates. I, I see a world where the Brewers compete. I see a world where the Cardinals compete, where the Reds and Cubs compete. I don't see a world where the Pirates do it next year. And considering they haven't competed since what, 2016, what do you like? What's the feel there? Like it's it's a, this is now a seven eight year rebuild. When you enter year seven eight, it's no longer a real rebuild. It's just dysfunction. Yeah, uh, it's. I like that ending point. It's just dysfunction. There's not a lot to write home about, in the Pirates, in terms of pitching. We were kind of talking about before the show is, they just don't know pitching very well. I, they haven't for a few years. I mean. In the Jameson Tyone deal, they got Roanzi Contreras, who should be really good. He has great stuff. And they also have Luis Ortiz, who should be really good. He has great stuff. And they're just not. Mitch Keller, great stuff. Had a 4.2 ERA this year. Threw 100, uh, like 200 innings, and that's great. Um, but you look at him and you're like, why Why aren't the results better? The peripherals are all very good. But yeah, it it's not like there's a... 
a prospect prospect coming too. Like Henry Davis wasn't very good in his big league showing this year. Um, maybe that's some concern. I'm not too concerned. He'll he hit in all levels before this, so he should be fine. Um, but they need to figure it out. They they got to figure it out on the pitching side. Maybe it's changing their pitching coach, changing their pitching coordinator, the the numbers they use, whatever it is. They they have to change something for the Pirates uh, pitching department. It's it's got to improve. I mean. It's just not looking too good for them. Um, you know, you hear from old Pirates pitchers like Garrett Cole, Charlie Morton, Jay Happ, that leaving there was the best thing for their careers. So it's not great. I know that was a couple years ago, but like, that's not great. That doesn't, that's not what you want to hear. And it really hasn't taken any improvement since those guys left. And so, uh, I mean, look at, look at Clay Holmes, right? He gets traded from the Pirates to the Yankees. They're like, hey, you throw your sinker, which is really good, like way too little. So you should throw it all the time, and then we're going to help you develop a straight slider and a sweeping slider, and you'll be good. And he was good. So, yeah, some definitely some concern there in Pittsburgh. I, I don't see an amazing future. I see a possibly good future, but, you know, it's it's tough to say. Moving to the NL West, the Dodgers went 162 which I believe secures their third straight 100-win season, which is pretty goddamn remarkable. Um, so they're just insane. They're a great ball club, extremely well-ran organization. We've said it multiple times on this podcast, best-ran team in sports. They once again proved it again this year. Arizona went 84-78 and 78 to finish second in the division and make a wild-card game despite losing four in a row at the end of the year. Uh, San Diego went... 82 and 80 again with the Mets and the Cardinals and the Yankees. Like this is easily one of the most disappointing teams of the year. Um, Just this was their year to win the division and they just collapsed. And now potentially they might trade Juan Soto, probably firing AJ Preller, probably firing Bob Melvin, just doing a full clean house. They're going to look to cut payroll. I don't know how they achieve that, Um, but Interesting to see what they do in the offseason. San Francisco went 79-83. They fired Gabe Kapler. Um, not sure if that was the right decision. Time will tell. I don't really think it's Kapler's fault, but also like they've always just been kind of mediocre under him outside of 2021. So whatever. And then Colorado went 59 and 103. Um, but Bud Black is still around and Dick Monfort still exists, so the Cardinal, uh, sorry, the Rockies will continue to Rocky, and I, I, I don't know. They're just good for entertainment, I guess, and like it could always be worse, right? If you're a fan, you could, you could be a Rockies fan, right? Like it could be worse, but uh, yeah, the Dodgers win the division. They win it pretty handily. Um, they're going to be great for a long time. I really like this Diamondbacks team. They're just not good enough, um, but I think with the right improvements, they could be really good next year. Yeah, so the way I look at it is Dodgers are the best-ran team in all sports. Uh, anybody who, like, says, oh, well, they only won one World Series, like, stop talking. Um, you don't, like, if that's how you view it, there's not, like, I, th- that can't really, we don't, I, that is, that is a process issue if you don't view the Dodgers as the best organization in baseball, I think. Uh, maybe in sports, you can argue for other ones. I still think they're the best one in sports, but... They're remarkably well ran. They win a hundred games in their sleep. This is supposed to be a transition year. Older pitchers got hurt and it doesn't matter. It, it literally doesn't matter for them. Um, as you mentioned with the Padres and Giants, just, I mean, the, the Giants, you can't say they were disappointing. They just weren't very good. 
Um, it was more the the off season was very much disappointing. They didn't get that star caliber player, and then I feel like that just kind of seeped in in the second half when they just didn't take off the way they should have. Um, you look at the Dodgers uh, again, great. Uh, and if you're the Giants, you're like, why are we in the position we are in? And the Giants and the Dodgers are just so much better than us. That I think that's a fair question to ask. That's going to require a lot of off season reevaluation. The Padres aren't, I think, screwed long term. They might be financially, but like prospect wise, they have a pretty good farm. They're just Man, AJ probably just can't make good deals. Like I, it's crazy. The dude makes a hundred trades. You feel like you know he wins a couple of them. Don't get me wrong; he's not like zero for thirty or anything like that. But you know, again, just he just makes too many mistakes. There are too many mistakes. There just way too many. Um, and then the Diamondbacks. I think the Diamondbacks are really good for a wild card series. I am very excited to see how the Diamondbacks play in a wild card series. They have two really good starting pitchers. Mel Kelly would have been a Cy Young candidate if he pitched more. Zach Gallen was a Cy Young candidate. Um, they don't have a great bullpen, but Paul Sewald helps. They have some fun hitters. You have Christian Walker. You have your Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other names. I know Corbin Carroll's there. I was just going to try to hype it up and save it like, oh, and then their star, Corbin Carroll. But unfortunately, I'm not very good at talking. Cattell Marte uh, was awesome. Um, and then obviously, again, you have your superstar, your, you know, your rookie of the year, just all we're spoiling the rookie of the year thing, but did anyone have a debate about this dude stole 54 bases, 25 home runs, 133 WRC plus near a six war year. You have a superstar, you have the pitching, you have enough hitting outside of him. I think it's Martin and Christian Walker are good, like tier two bats for a guy like that. Gabriel Moreno took off in the second half. I was surprised that he finished the year with the numbers he did. He had a 102 WRC plus. His framing sucks. Don't get me wrong. But um, according to StatCast, he's an above average defender overall. Um, and according to Fangraphs, he was an above average defender as well. So, you know, do you get that second half version of Moreno? Um, maybe. Do you get, uh, you know, Guriel Jr. who like started off really hot, got cold. Same thing kind of with Pordormo. Um, Can you get like decent postseasons out of them? Maybe. I, I think this team... I'm not saying they can be like the Phillies last year, but can they just make some noise? If they win a wild card series, it's a great year for them. Even if they don't, it's a great year for them. And I like the addition of Tommy Pham. I think Tommy Pham, uh, not a great person off the field apparently, but um, you know, really good, just does everything well offensively, works walks, hits the ball hard, doesn't strike out too much, has some speed. I think this team's dangerous. I think this team can, if you're not prepared to handle the, 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 the Diamondbacks, which I don't think the Brewers are, but that's a different point for a later part of this podcast. Um, I think you're going to get punched in the face by a team like Arizona. I, I do like the Diamondbacks a lot. I think that they they could end up making some noise. Um, yeah, and that's that's the season. That That's where it all happened. That's where all the magic came in. At. It was a super strange year. I mean, it's hard to imagine a year where the Yankees don't make the postseason. The Astros wait till the last day to etch their spot. The Mets don't make it. Cardinals don't make it. Giants disappoint. San Diego disappoints. Giants don't really disappoint. They were, they were, the roster was okay, as you just said, but, you know, very, very strange year. Um, moving on into the postseason, we go. So our one seeds are Atlanta and Baltimore. Our two seeds are Los Angeles and Houston. So they all get first round buys and we'll be lined up for the AL and NLDS. So our first series we're going to start off with is the Toronto Blue Jays versus the Minnesota Twins. Who do you have coming out in this series? 
Now, this was tough. I went back and forth on this. I, I, I think both teams are capable of winning the World Series. So I hope that the fan base that I don't pick to win this game or the series doesn't get too mad at me. Um, I want to preface it with that. I don't think this is clear cut, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. Minnesota Twins will be winning this in three. The Minnesota Twins are, they have not won a playoff game in my lifetime. At some point, right? Like, I know that making a prediction based off, like, hey, they got to be due at some point feels a little bit kind of uh, not fair, but they do a lot of things well. Their bullpen stuff plus is 116. I know the rotation stuff plus isn't great, but a lot of their guys in the rotation are just not stuff plus guys. Um, you kind of think like Pablo Lopez with the cut right fastball, same thing with Sonny Gray, Bailey Ober and Kane Tamaeda are not stuff plus guys either. And they do pretty well. Uh, you have, you mentioned Joe Ryan. I completely forgot about Joe Ryan. That's on me. They have the pitching and they can shorten it in a postseason series. I think they have the thing I think they have over the Blue Jays is they have two frontline guys. The Blue Jays don't. I also think the Twins can hit home runs more reliably than the Blue Jays. If Edward, like they have, I mean, th- the lineup they can throw out is is pretty sick, right? Like if it's a right, if a, if it's a guy like Gosman who they uh, would like to get more lefties or maybe because of the splitter uh, splits, they'd like to get more righties. However, it may be they can throw out Julian, Polanco, Kirloff. Kepler, uh, Correa, Lewis, uh, Michael A. Taylor, maybe Matt Walner, depending on the matchup, Ryan Jeffers, Willie Castro. Uh, like, they just have dudes. All of these guys have been above average hitters this year. They added Chris Paddock to the bullpen. His stuff is apparently up a tick. Louis Varlin in the bullpen, I think I like. You have Johan Duran. Emilio Pagan's been pretty good this year. Um, you're going to get, you know, you maybe get Joey Gallo back. You maybe get Byron Buxton back. I don't know. Is Byron Buxton supposed to come back for this post series? Do we know about that yet? Um, I know Bucks, I, I know Correa. So. All right, so we're going to leave him off this. But that's fine. Like, honestly, like, it's not like he's been doing much for you this year, so you're not too worried. Um, I know Gallo was on a rehab assignment. I don't know if he's back with the team yet. Um, that'll help you against right-handed pitching. I know Gallo's, like, he's been kind of meh this year. I don't think Gallo had a good year by any me- measures, but if Joey Gallo just runs into one, your entire season can change. Um, I-, I just think they have enough home run hitting and enough power pitching to get it done. Again, I don't think it's like decisive. Like, I don't think they're gonna the Toronto Blues are gonna walk to Minnesota and get bludgeoned, but I think they they're gonna lose to the Twins. I'm with you. I have the Twins winning this series. Uh, I think it happens in three games as well. Uh, they're all in Minnesota. Um, you know, not that that's like super crazy or anything like that. And like, the, neither team I think has pretty dramatic splits, but I, I think Minnesota, as you said. The big thing for me is that in game one, they can go Sonny Gray. In game two, they can go Pablo Lopez. And in game three, they can go in Joe Ryan. They arguably have a pitching advantage in all three, but they definitely have it in two of the three games. And so for that, for me, is going to make the advantage uh, difference here. They hit enough home runs, as you said. Um, Toronto has has good talent, but I'm, I'm taking the Twins here. I like their bullpen. I like their pitching staff. I like their offense. They strike out a lot, um, so you know when they go against Cosman, that might be a problem. But everywhere else, I, I see somebody. You know, I, I I see them with the with the serious advantage in most facets of this series. So I I think they're going to take it. And you know, again, as you said, it's not really a strategy, but you got to win at some point, right? Like you got to break the curse eventually. So we have Minnesota moving on um, in the next series. Sticking with the American League, we have the Tampa Bay Rays playing the texas rangers who do you got okay unlike my twins in toronto prediction i'm gonna be very harsh with this the 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 toronto the tampa bay rays are gonna beat the crap out of the texas rangers 
I think Texas is built for the postseason. I want to preface that by saying this, except for the fact that they're going to lose game one. They're going to start Jordan Montgomery in game one, and they're going to lose that game. Jordan Montgomery is going to be like, they're going to be winning two nothing. Montgomery's going to pitch like six scoreless. Chapman's going to come in, and the Rays are going to win the game. That They're playing in the trop. Tampa has really good pitching. Tampa's active roster, WRC plus like 117. I know that it's a little bit skewed because some of their top guys, their plate appearances matter a little bit more in that. Like I, I, I was talking with a, a friend of mine. And he was like, technically, Yandy Diaz is, accounts for 14% of plate appearances when you use that instead of 7%. So it can be skewed, but they have a lot of talent. They can platoon well. Junior Caminero is an X factor here. He's clearly one of the 100 most talented players in the sport. Honestly, he's one of the 50 most talented players in the entire world right now, I think. Can he figure it out against Texas? Can he have that one? Really, like, they have enough young guys that are so good at baseball that them popping off in a postseason series isn't that crazy to think of. And then I don't know if this is predictive, but like Randy or Rosarena just happens to show up every postseason. It, it, it without fail, automatic, does it every year. I think they have the pitching. Tyler Glass now in, I mean, stuff-wise, how many people in a one-game scenario would you rather have than Tyler Glass now with the Rays bullpen, all things considered? Probably nobody. Robert Stevenson has been, I mean, unbelievable. You have Pete Fairbanks. You have that entire bullpen. I just think that they're going to be able to neutralize the Rangers. And I think that the Rangers bullpen is just not very good. They just can't go toe-to-toe with the Rays pitching staff. And I think that's going to cost them. We are in complete agreement. I think this is a two-game sweep. Tampa moves on. They're just a better team. I no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I don't think the Rays do anything poorly. And I think Texas has too many questions. Uh, so Tampa's going to move on. Um, moving on, we have the Diamondbacks playing the Brewers in the first National League wildcard series. Who do you have coming out of the Milwaukee uh, bracket? Um, I think that Arizona would have to win this in two. I don't know if Arizona can go into a game three and win that. So I, I have Arizona winning. I think it's in two. I, it's not that I think that they're going to just walk in and start beating the crap out of like Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. I just think that their offense is a little bit better. Basically, my, my thought process is Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly, in terms of run prevention, I think are close enough to Burns and Woodruff that the difficulty of a lineup that they will be facing will cover that gap and give the advantage to Arizona. I am not as confident in this take. I know I just went on a whole spiel about M- Milwaukee not scoring, but I kind of realized like, Man, game three, if Arizona goes to game three, they're kind of screwed. Because you imagine they pour all their assets to either lose or win game two in the bullpen. um, And they're going to go into that game three a little bit shorthanded. And if that happens, Milwaukee's got the advantage. But again, Milwaukee just doesn't have anybody who like stands out as a superstar caliber hitter. I know Christian Yelich has his moments, but he's not a superstar caliber hitter at this point in time. He's a lot closer to a Cattell Marte and Christian Walker than a Corbin Carroll. I don't know. I, I think the Diamondbacks are just more talented offensively, and I think that's the separator for me. So I really want to pick Arizona here, but I believe Zach Gallon started on Friday, which means if he started game one, he'd be going on three days rest. If he started on game two, he'd be going at normal rest, but you'd be at a serious disadvantage in game one. And so that, for me, is the difference here is that Milwaukee was able to coast reset their rotation for, for this series. Whereas Arizona had to throw Zach gallon on Friday. Um, so that's why I'm going with Milwaukee in three here. I think regardless of if gallon goes in game one or in game two, 
you know, that just messes up things because either he's going on short rest, which I don't think he's ever done, or they're, you know, not starting their best off in game one. And so that's going to make the difference here for me. So I have Milwaukee coming out. I want to pick Arizona. I really like Corbin Carroll. I like this team. I like Tori Lovello. I just think that that the setup is not in their favor and that's going to come back to bite them. I agree with you that I think they're more talented, but I just think it's not set up for them. Yeah, I will say this. Brandon fought in his second stint has a 95 ERA minus high chase rate, 35%, and then 11.9% swinging strike rate, 19.1% strikeout to walk rate. He has a good start in this series. I imagine he's going in game three. Like they, they don't have, like if they pick, if they let like, Anybody it's Merrill else, Kelly and Zach Allen in game one. Yeah, like I'm saying, if any, if it gets to a game three and anybody else pitches that game three over Brandon Fott, I'm, I like at that point, like I, I don't think that's happening. I think he's pitching game three. If it gets to a game three and Brandon Fott pitches as well as he's pitched in the second half, or just a little bit better, just finds that second tick, that can change things. I think it just comes down to whether, as you mentioned, like can is Arizona going to be able to kind of get over the fact that Milwaukee is just so much better pitching wise, and I. I'd say yes, but I think it's like a toss-up. I think I'm leaning towards Arizona here just because I think they're a little bit more young and they're 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 an offense first team, and I kind of prefer that in this scenario. Totally. I think you can make a case for either one. I just think that the way it's set up favors Milwaukee. So I'm going to take Milwaukee. Uh in our final series, we have the Marlins versus the Phillies. Um, as we said, we have a lot of love for the Marlins even making it. Um, but I think you can agree with me here. Uh, it's probably not going to age well for them. Yeah, this is this is this is going to be not great for them. Uh, they don't have the best pitcher in the series. And when your team is clearly the worst offensive one, they're not even a good base running team either. That's like kind of surprising. I was doing again. I, I write about the Yankees, so that's they hit thing. just enough. Right. Yeah, their their base running is bad though. Like they're a bad base running team. They're like second tied for second worst to BSR. Like there's just like, I don't know, man. I just don't see it. I don't see a world. Not that I don't see a world where Miami like has just two really good games, but I don't see a world where they're beating the Phillies more than like what ten times out of a hundred simulations or maybe twenty if we're generous. I don't. I don't know. It. They. This feels like a mismatch. Yeah, I have the Phillies winning in two. I think. I think it's that's how it's going. Um, so we agree on three of the four. Um, unfortunately, the the DS series will be playing by the time we record next week. So we will go ahead and do our uh, ALDS and NLDS predictions now as well. We'll save our ALCS and NLCS predictions uh, for next week when you know we have a clearer picture of where we're at. Um, but it will be the Dodgers versus the Brewers or the Diamondbacks. You know, depending on how. We view it, uh, but we'll have the Atlanta versus the Phillies, uh, Orioles versus the Rays, and then Houston versus the Twins. Sticking with Houston versus the Twins, who do you have coming out in that series? The Houston Astros have not missed the ALCS since 2016. In 2016, I was in seventh grade. I am in a sophomore in college. Max, the Minnesota Twins will be winning this series in five games. The Minnesota Twins, every year there is one team. There is one team every year. One team. Every single year. Every single year there's one team that just does it, right? They they just do something they should not do. 
And the Minnesota Twins are going to do something they should not do. And that is beat the Houston Astros in a playoff series. Now, I want to preface this by saying the Astros are going to be favored to win this series. They should be favored to win this series. And if we ran this see if we ran this series a hundred times, the Astros probably win 70 to 80 of them or 60 to 80 of them. Let's use that range, right? I don't, I want to protect myself from Astros fans saying, wow, you actually thought like the Astros are worse than the twins. No, I think the Astros are better than the twins, but I think the twins can get hot at the right time. Again, Carl Square has been bad all year. He has not been good at any stage of this season. At some point, he has to figure it out, right? Like a guy his go- of his talent level has to kind of just figure it out. And if I really, the way I looked at it is I wanted to pick one team that was going to be an upset team, just continuously get a little bit farther than they should have. Um, whether that means that they win the World Series or not, that's we're not going to talk about. Don't, don't, I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, but I think Minnesota has everything that a team should have if they wanted to be world beaters, if they wanted to just do something that they're not projected to do or do something that odds makers don't think they're supposed to do. And that's because they hit home runs. They've got electric stuff. They've got enough pitching. They can shorten their uh, rotation. They can do all these things. They platoon really well. I think the Minnesota Twins are going to win this series in five games. It'll be in five games. It'll come down to a game five in Houston. And that's that's why I don't think they'll like dominate the Astros. I think if they win, it'll have to be like, the three games they win are all like one or two run games. They get blown out in a game or two. Um, this will come down to the wire if they win. I love it. I love the pick. Completely disagree with you. I think I think the Astros are going to win in four, but I love I love the confidence of the pick. Um, again, I just Houston's just a better team, right? Um, not by a meaningful amount or anything, but they are a better team. Um, I do like the Twins quite a bit, as you said. Like there's 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 stuff to like there, but they, sh- you know, they got right when it mattered. And so that, that affected things for sure. But, you know, they should have been better than they were. I have some questions there and and Houston, eh, again, they haven't been to the ALCS since 2016, you know, streaks have to end and streaks have to start eventually, but I, I, I do like them for the ALCS. I, the pitching is I don't think is in their favor, actually, even though I know people are going to be like, they're starting Justin Verlander and Pringle Valdez. Yeah, but like, it's Justin, it's 40-year-old Justin Verlander. Um, You know, he's got a lot of experience, so does Valdez. Um, So maybe that helps things, but they got some questions after that. Still not a for sure thing that McCormick and Diaz are going to play every day. Um, So that affects things, but um, I, I do... So in that regard, like I understand picking the twins, but at the end of the day, like that's just the experience that Houston has and their core being so good when it matters is is gonna is gonna take the edge here. Um, moving to the other American League series, we have uh, the Orioles versus the Rays in the matchup of probably uh, definitely the two best teams in the American League, and it's a shame that's gonna be the ALDS. Um, who do you have coming out in this AL East Titan showdown? This is tough. Like I, there are, I think Toronto, not Toronto, Tampa Bay clearly is like on paper, the better team, but that we've said that about Baltimore. Like, Oh, this team is clearly better than them. Right? Like, Oh yeah. Like the blue Jays are clearly more talented or like the Yankees are clearly more talented or the Astros or the Rays or the, I don't think anybody said that about the twins, but um, you know, like all these teams are clearly more talented than the Orioles and they keep winning. Um, They do really well against high velocity. So do the race. They do really good against breaking balls. Again, so do the race. Um, But I do think the advantage that the 
Orioles have is just that they're red hot, dude. Like they've just been playing really good baseball for a good amount of time. Um, can they win this series? I, again, I think this would have to be like a five game series. I think both ALDS are going to go to five. I know that that's kind of like, oh, wow, this is an open postseason, close matchups, all that stuff. Um, honestly, I'm going to change it from five. I think Baltimore wins in four. I think Baltimore, they get, they get the job done at home. I think they win the first two games. I think the Rays get that third game. And I think the fourth game is pretty close. I think it's going to mirror what that kind of that Red Sox series was for the Rays. Not saying the Rays aren't built for October. If they win this series, I would be shocked. I just, I, I'm going to pick Baltimore here. I like the Baltimore pick, but I'm, I'm going Tampa. I think, I don't know. There's just something about this team, but it feels like it's their year. You know, I was telling you before we record, but it, they do nothing poorly. They have some questions about shortstop, sure. Um, but they, they throw, they pitch extremely well. They hit a ton of home runs. The defense is good enough. The base running is good enough. Um, Yandy Diaz is, I mean, starting it off at the top of your lineup with a guy who has a 160 WRC plus. You know, as you said, a Rosa Arena is going to show up. He always does. Uh, I just, this team is just really damn good. And so I, I feel inclined to, to go with them. Um, I do really like Baltimore. I just don't think they're going to have the pitching to hold up against Tampa in a five-game series. Um, so I, I got Tampa going and taking down Baltimore in five, but it it's mighty close. So you had the Dodgers versus the Diamondbacks. Uh, what do you have as a result of that series? Um, I, is it like I don't I don't think it. I think it'll be I think it'll be like I, I think it'll be a historical beatdown. I think the Dodgers are going to beat the dog crap out of the Diamondbacks. I think there will be an LDS. Like we're going to be talking about like do you remember the time the Dodgers like scored the most runs in a three game series in, or in a three game AL NLDS or division series? Um, against the Diamondbacks or like do you remember when the Diamondbacks got blanked by the Dodgers actually I don't think the Dodgers are going to do that do. pitching wise they don't have the pitching to do it anymore um, but I think they're going to beat the crap out of the Diamondbacks I, I think that'll happen this year um, unfortunately I like the Diamondbacks I think they just get swept though um, I don't think they're better than the Dodgers what are they like both those teams can't really pitch but the Dodgers have much better hitting they have Mookie Betts they have Freddie Freeman I think the comparison would be the 2017 NLDS, which I'm pretty sure you remember. Uh, the Diamondbacks just were outmatched. They were outclassed, and I think that's kind of what's going to happen here. Yeah, I think the Dodgers sweep. I, I just see a sweep. I don't think really there's much more to say here. It doesn't matter who they play. I have them playing the Brewers, and I still think the Dodgers sweep. I just They're a much better team than either of these teams. They may have some pitching questions, sure, but I don't think that'll get exposed in this series. It'll get exposed in the NLCS, but you know, not in this one. And then the final series we're going to talk about today, we both had the Phillies coming out of the wild card ground, so they play Atlanta. Last year, this was the exact matchup, and the Phillies shocked the world and won that series. Um, do you think that happens again, or do you have Atlanta moving on? It it's this is gonna like I want to be on. I need to. I'm going to be on Twitter all day for this if the Phillies win. And I think the Phillies will win. Um, I, I think the Phillies are going to win in in four games. I, I think it's very similar to last year's NLDS. I just, do you trust Spencer Strider right now to make a great start against a really good lineup? Uh, my answer, he just got the crap being out of him by the, na not the crap being out of him, but he just struggled against the Nationals twice. He hasn't had the best month of September. His command's kind of spotty. Now, could he just do what Garrett Cole did at the end of last year, which was struggle towards the end and then just find in the postseason? Absolutely. 
if you like, I, I just don't think the Braves have the guys following Strider that I can trust right now. Now, if Strider pitches two really good games in this NLDS, they will win this series. I just don't know if I can trust him to pitch two really good games in this NLDS right now. And I'm saying this as someone who thinks Spencer Strider is like the best or second best pitcher in baseball. I just think that the timing of it is all really bad right now. Now, alternate reality, Strider gets beat up in both games and the Braves just win both games. Like that's also completely possible. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know how I look at the Braves pitching staff right now. I think they're kind of in disarray and the Braves have done this kind of often. I mean, it feels like they do this a lot. There's a lot of like really good Braves teams that just get beat up in the first round. I'm not saying that's like a, they're chokers or anything. I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I don't, it's not that I don't think they're very good. I think they're, I think if they get past the Phillies, I think they'll beat the crap out of everybody in front of them, but I just don't think they're getting past the Phillies this year again. I am going to agree with you. I think the Phillies win this series. I think that, we don't know what's up with Max Freed. We don't know what's up with Charlie Morton. Um, the Braves pitching beyond very questionable at best. They can hit, and their offense can score, obviously. Um, but, you know, they have some question marks, um, and the pitching is not set up well for them. A poor Spencer Strider start, which he's blo- you know prone to do, um, ruins their chances. They need him to be good. And that's kind of sketchy, relying on a second-year starter um, to be good, especially when he's as prone to blow-ups as he is. So, yeah, I have major concerns here for Atlanta. So I I have the Phillies moving on because they got two really good starting pitchers at the top. They have an offense that mashes not as well as Atlanta, obviously, but enough. Um, And they have a bullpen that, uh, they've got some dudes in there. They've got some experience in there as well. And so, and I also think Rob Thompson is an incredible manager. And I think the postseason is where a manager can make a difference. Brian Snicker's really good at his job as well. Not debating that, but Rob Thompson last year, he made decisions that, you know, I felt won the Phillies a lot of games on their postseason run. And so I'm excited to see what he can do again. Um, and you know, that's what jumps out to me is that they're set up to do well because it's just not set up in Atlanta's favor. Um, so our ALCS, you have Baltimore versus Minnesota. I have Houston versus Tampa. And then we both have the Dodgers versus Atlanta. Uh, we will check back in on those results in a week, but I don't want our listeners to spend so much time discussing the season and everything like that. They were promised a result on the NL Cy Young, and we'll get to that in just a second. But we're going to start with the AL MVP. So we each came up with a top five for the MVP and the Cy Young, and then a top three for Rookie of the Year, the Reliever of the Year Awards, and Manager of the Year Awards. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say my number five, and then you're going to say your number five, and then we're going to just each go from there. All right, so my number five, and the American League MVP is Bobby Witt Jr. Who is your number five? I went with Julio Rodriguez. Okay. Julio Rodriguez is my number four. Who is your number four? I went with Garrett Cole. Interesting, interesting. Cole was an honorable mention for me. He does not make my top five, but that's very interesting. So then number three, I had Marcus Simeon. 
Same here. Okay. We also, so both agree on Marcus Simon. Number two, I think we're going to be in agreement from here on out then. Corey Seager. Yep. And then, of course. And then number one, Shohei Otani. As you said, he could have farted into a mic in the final month of the season and he still would have won. Um, so our big disagreements, not really all that big, is you had Julio Rodriguez five and Garrett Cole four. I had Bobby Wood Jr. five and Julio Rodriguez four. And Garrett Cole probably would have been sixth. Um, some other guys that also in contention, uh, Gunnar Henderson, he deserves some love in there. Jose Ramirez as well. Adley Rushman and Aaron Judge also were honorable mentions for me. Um, yeah, this award was decided a long time ago. We don't really need to discuss it too deeply. Tony's the best player in baseball. He's going to love playing in Dodger Blue. Um, moving on to the National League MVP. This is where it's going to get interesting. All right. My number five was Francisco Lindor. Who's your number five? My number five, I went with Corbin Carroll. Interesting. Corbin Carroll was an honorable mention for me. He probably would have been sixth. My number four was Matt Olson. Same here. My number three was Mookie. Uh, sorry, not Mookie. That's was Freddie Freeman. Locked up with you right now. Sweet. Um, my number two was Mookie Betts. I also went with Moogie Betts. So I think we're going to have the same top two. Yep. And then I had Acuna winning the MVP. Uh, so the first thing is, why did you choose Corbin Carroll over Francisco Lindor? And then I'll explain why I chose Francisco Lindor over Corbin Carroll. All right. So I basically, Corbin Carroll is a better offensive player. And I think that in a grant, like, I think that in a world where you were a 133 WRC plus hitter and have nearly 15 BSR, like you are a transcendent base runner and the clearly better uh, hitter. I think, I mean, the F4 was the same. It was 5.9 to 5.9. I was going to, I was just going to give it to the better hitter. Um, I, I'm not saying defense isn't valuable. Uh, that's not the argument I'm trying to make here. Uh, you know me, I'm a big like, hey, defense really matters type of guy. But if you tell me, all right, here are the exact same players in player value, who would you rather have? I think I'm taking the better offensive player just because it's more like offensive stats are more reliable than defensive stats. I'll take WRC plus over OAA or defensive run saved. I'll take WRC plus honestly over any stat in the world in terms of reliability. Um, and yeah, like I just think that if you're the better offensive player hitter wise and base running wise and you guys have the same war, I'm going to give it to you. Completely fully okay with that. Yeah. I, Carol versus Lindor, I'm not going to lie to you. I spent like a good five, 10 minutes like debating this. And this is for the fifth spot in the MVP. So it really, it really shouldn't matter all that much. But what it did for me was defense. Yes. Carol had the better WRC plus by 12 points. I don't think that's undeniable here. Obviously the same fan war, but Lindor is a great defensive shortstop. And that is extremely valuable. And that showed up in the baseball reference war, which was a bigger split. Um, I think the argument is that both of them deserve to finish fifth or sixth. I like. I think it's very clear who the top four are, as we both came into agreement on. I think that will be most people's top four. Um, but 
I don't think you can go wrong either way, but I just, that very good shortstop defense with being a good base runner. Um, you know, he did have 7.1 BSR this year for Francisco Lindor. And honestly, their offensive profiles are extremely similar. They're both, they're within a point of each other in both walk rate and strikeout rate. Um, their ISOs are almost identical. Um, their expected Woba was basically identical. Um, and so that, that kind of was like, all right, yes, he had a better WRC plus. Did the defense overcome that? I think so, just ever so slightly, but it's really close. I, I, I really could have gone either way here. Um, but ultimately, I go with Lindor. Shortstop defense is just so immensely valuable, and I thought he should have been rewarded for that. A couple of honorable mentions that I had outside of Corbin Carroll, Juan Soto, Danzy Swanson, William Contreras, and Logan Webb. Uh, I think all deserve some uh, some love in there. Uh, if you have not looked at William Contreras' number, he had a great year. He was truly sensational this year. Um, but why did Acuna end up taking your vote in the MVP? Well, here's the thing. I can't sit here and say after you know arguing, Betts has more war in WRC+, therefore he should win the MVP. It's a precedent. Like Not saying it's a precedent as in like a long-standing precedent, but when is the better WRC+, and better F4 not led to the better player? Like In terms of analysis, that's typically how that goes. And Acuna had the month that he needed to have to overtake him. I think that the big, for, for pro Mookie Betts people, I don't think anybody was like, yeah, Mookie Betts is going to be the runaway MVP. I think it was always, guys, Mookie Betts is, has better numbers than Acuna, and it's going to be really close. And that's how I always felt about this MVP race. I'm glad Acuna is going to win this. I, I'm happy for him. I'm not like unhappy for him. I'm not like, oh, Acuna's going to win. I hate Acuna, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I wish Mookie won it. Um, Mookie having two MVPs would like be awesome for him. It's not a great year. Nothing to discount from that. Um, but yeah, no, Acuna has the the F war. He has the B war. He has the WRC plus. He has the slash line. He has the OPS. He has the historic value. There's everything is there for him now. And now, now Acuna is I not the clear cut in the sense of like, it's not the same way I viewed the Otani Judge MVP. Where I was like, okay, I think Aaron Judge was clearly better than Shohei Otani this year. But I think Acuna is, again, it's within the margin of error for war, but he's the better hitter, right? Like that's, right? You know, like how can I how can I sit here and dispute that? I think his base running value is overrated. It's definitely not one of the best seasons ever, the way that people argue it has. Um, like I, I was seeing some like, oh, this is one of the greatest offensive seasons ever. Yeah, if like one of is like the 50 range maybe. And then for overall position player seasons, again, like that top 50 range, sure. But like, dude, there are like, I, I, shout out Bobby. I think Bobby said this in uh in, in a group chat we're in. Uh where it was like he's like 70 something in, in BSR in the decade for like best base running seasons. It's just not like yeah. I'm not trying to detract from the MVP. I'm just clarifying like there it's a very it's gonna be a really bad discourse for this MVP conversation. I'm not I don't like it. It wasn't fun all year. Um it's not a his it's not like historic, it's not the Aaron Judge 2022, but it's clearly, I think, at this point, the MVP. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like, if you're ever hesitant, generally going with the better offense is the right call. For me, this isn't a situation where Mookie's defense, like Lindor, was enough over Carroll and stuff. Mookie was a good defender at multiple spots, and that was immensely valuable. What essentially ended his case was he got hurt at the end of the year, and, and that kind of ended it. And that that sucks. Um, he just he just wasn't really the same post injury kind of. He was good, not great. So 
that's where it kind of makes the difference here is that he just couldn't end the year on the high note that he was at. Um, and that that's why he ended up finishing second for me. Uh, Acuna, he's got a four point difference in WRC plus that's within the margin of error, but I mean, he has the higher on base percentage. He has the higher slugging. Um, he has, um, the better expected stats. If you want to factor that in, um, yeah, I mean, I just I lean towards Acuna here purely because I think the defense, the the defensive difference is no longer making up the offensive gap anymore. Um, again, if this there is a good case that you could say that this should be co MVPs, and I I would fully listen to that. But I th- I think Acuna is going to win here, and I think he probably should. It's a great year, you know. It's awesome to see a prospect of his level live up to the hype. Um, you could argue he could have won in 2021 as well. So uh, very exciting. He's an immensely fun player to watch. So it's really, really cool to see him win this MVP. And uh, ultimately, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for him. Uh, moving over to AL Cy Young. Uh, this one also will not be spent a ton of time discussing. Uh, my number five, and this, this one was actually kind of tough to do. Uh, I think two and three are pretty interchangeable. But pretty much four beyond, it, you have like five guys, six guys who can make a case here. Um, my number five was Luis Castillo. Who was yours? But with Kyle Bradish. Kyle Bradish is my five. I tried really hard to get Bradish in there, but ultimately the lack of innings um, is what cost him a little bit. Castillo threw a ton of innings and I think that's pretty valuable. I, I know that they and the stretch wasn't super great, and he honestly pitched pretty poorly there uh, in game 161, so that, that really hurt things, but he, he's very good. I really wanted to get Radish in there. Uh, my number four was Pablo Lopez. Who was your number four? I had Framber Valdez. I like Framber. Volume's really good. Ground ball rate's really good. He was an honorable mention for me. Um it just, it, this is a situation where I think Lopez, Valdez, Bradish, Eflin, and a guy like George Kirby, um, all of them kind of fit into clearly not the guy who, who should finish in the top three, but clearly a guy who should get like around this area of Cy Young votes. And so I'm not really that upset. Valdez obviously threw 198 innings, had a 3.48 ERA. Um, the expected ERA is really bad, but you know that's because he's a ground ball pitcher. Uh, I know that Valdez actually threw more innings than Lopez, and Lopez actually had a higher ERA, but the expected numbers are a little bit better. Um, he did punch out a lot of dudes. Um, and I know it, like this sounds like kind of boomerish, but it just feels like Valdez had some big blowups and that kind of cost him at times. But God, it was so close. This, this this was really hard. Like the difference between Pablo Lopez and a, a George Kirby is extremely small. I mean, it, this was a tough one to pick. Uh, my third was Kevin Gosman. Who was your third? I also have Kevin Gosman. So I imagine we have the same top three. I'm going to guess that you had Sonny Gray two and then Garrett Cole one. Yep, you would be correct. Yeah, I I think this top three is pretty easy here. Um, Garrett Cole easily wins the Cy Young. He led the American League in innings. He led the American League in ERA. 
the expected numbers are nobody has like objectively like so much better expected numbers to to take the vault in my opinion um and again i think it was just the case of garrett cole sacrificed some strikeouts to be better at contact management uh and he was very good at it and you know i I think garrett cole actually ended up finishing somewhere like around uh like top five top three in expected era if like that's your metric uh in the american league yes he was uh third in expected ERA in the American League behind Pablo Lopez and Zach Eflin. Um, so if like that's your thing, like he did very well in that. He was just good at everything and had the volume. And also like Garrett Cole should have won two already. Like you got to give him this one. Like I, I I don't think there's an argument against Garrett Cole in some obvious manner. But beyond that, like this was a tough balance to fill out. Four and five were tough spots. I also listed Jordan Montgomery as an honorable mention here. Yes, I'm biased. That's my guy. But also, like, Jordan Montgomery was really good for the Rangers down the stretch when the rest of their rotation was falling apart. He had a really good year this year. He definitely deserves some love in that regard. Um, and so I d- believe he should get some Cy Young votes somewhere. He was 12th in Fangraphs War this year. He threw 188.2 innings and 32 starts and had a 3.20 ERA. Yeah, he was just good this year, man. And so because of that, I think he deserves an honorable mention. But filling out the four and five spot, that was tough. What do you think? Yeah, I I, I gave it to Bradish because honestly, and I know this is an unconventional way to do it. His ERA was really good. Yeah, the innings weren't great. The stuff plus is 126. I the dude was his stuff is so good. Like I I buy in. I know the, the underlying metrics are a little bit are like considerably, not considerably in the sense of like really bad, but like they're consistently worse than the ERA. Um, he has a really bad four seam fastball. That doesn't help. I know that that's probably why he he struggled a little bit earlier to start the year, but um, he kind of felt like a guy that just, I, I just wanted to give him some love. Like I, I know that sometimes, you know, when it comes to voting and this is why I, you know, I don't envy the job of voting. Um, you know, I, I wanted to give Kyle Radish some love. That's I, I was glad you voted Lindor as your five because I wanted Lindor to get a mention in the MVP talks. I think he never really gets talked about there, and, and I was glad you mentioned him. Um, and I just wanted to give Kyle Radish his, his flowers. Like, you make 29 starts for a first-place team, and you have a 2.86 ERA, and you qualify for the ERA title. Um, yeah, dude, sick. Like, that's that's how I viewed it. Um, Lopez, I think, if I were to redo my ballot, I think I would have strongly considered putting Lopez on here. I think in terms of true talent, like who pitched the best in terms of what they can control, I think Pablo Lopez pitched arguably better than everybody else. I know that there's that one Forbes article of like, he should have won the Cy Young. I don't think it's actually that. I I think it's a bad conclusion. I don't think it's a bad piece, if you get what I'm saying. Like, I think, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, you can argue that Pablo Lopez was the best at limiting damage and controlling things that pitchers can control in the American League this year. And that's certainly a part of it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the thing that determines, you know, Cy Young is results. And I'm not saying ERA, but like, yeah, like runs allowed are important here. Volume is important here. And he has 15 less innings than Garrett Cole. And that's important. Um, It's winning the Cy Young and we're when we're going to get into the, the NL discussion it'll come again um it, volume is extremely important and Garrett Cole leading the American League in innings is one of the biggest if not the biggest reason he won in my opinion or he won my vote I should say 
Uh, yeah, he was great at not allowing runs. He had a great ERA. He's a great pitcher, but that that no runs that that volume is important. Even if other guys were better at things that that matter in terms of evaluating talent and pitching and maybe projecting forward. Like if you told me next year that your pick to win this AL Cy Young is Pablo Lopez, I would tell you that that's a really good pick. Um, but in terms of this year, I think I got to go with Garrett Cole because he was better at the run prevention part and he had the volume. And so he had both things. And so that's important. Um, but it becomes way harder to figure out with the NL Cy Young. And we've discussed it so much. And this is where we're, we're definitely going to find some differences here because this is this was just really hard. There were seven guys who you could have argued to get first place here about a week ago. I know one person is going to win, but I, I'm not going to give it away. But my fifth place vote went to Spencer Strider. I... I I didn't have your fifth place or first place, just to clarify. Fifth place. Fifth yeah, place. I, I, I thought about it. I really thought about throwing him on here. I just couldn't. I just, I don't know. I, I just, I couldn't do it. I, I voted Garrett Cole as my song. I put Sonny Gray too. I put Cobb Radish on the list. I kind of have to be consistent with the whole ERA innings thing. I think as long as I think the big thing is you have to have a consistent ballot. That's always been my like thought process on it. Um, and as long as you're consistent, I'm, I'm good with the thought process. I put Gallon as my five. I think Gallon. I could have put him higher. I feel kind of bad not putting him higher, but that was my five. My four is going to be your one. I had Blake Snell four. I know some people are going to be like, how could you not have Blake Snell win? He had a 2.33 ERA. Yes. And I know I just talked about how like run prevention is important. Not debating that, but the three guys I had in front of him all through more innings, all were arguably better at the things that, matter towards run prevention than Snell was for me. It's just, I can't ignore the walks. I just can't do it. Walking 13% of hitters and then winning the Cy Young. I, I, I can't allow that. I just, he made my ballot, which is an improvement, I guess, for his case, considering I wasn't even thinking about it at one point in time, but yeah, I, I can't vote for Blake Snell, even though I know he'll, he'll win and that's fine. Not really, but it's Okay. He wins because of the low ERA, and I totally understand that. He was also really good at run prevention this year. But I just – the guys in front of him have a significant gap in innings, and I, I don't think that can be ignored. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I Who's think, your four? Yeah, I had uh, Justin Steele. I think Justin Steele is kind of like the the baby Blake Snell. You feel what I'm saying? Not like in the sense of like walks and all that stuff. Sure. But like ERA is really good. Innings aren't great. If the innings were better, he wins the Cy Young. I just – yeah, that's who I, I great year for Justin Steele. Just kind of got roughed up at the end and then doesn't pitch enough innings. Yeah, Steele went from like third to off my ballot entirely because of his last few starts. Uh, it became, I was willing to ignore the lack of volume at a certain point, but then it just got, yeah, it, 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 he ran out of gas and, you know, might have cost the Cubs a postseason spot, but he he ends up being an honorable mention for me. Uh, my third, and this is, I think, we're going we're gonna to see the biggest disagreements. My third is Zach Wheeler ended up finishing third for me. I left him off my ballot. I have Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns threw a lot of innings and got a lot of and prevented runs. I know the peripherals aren't great, but he did those two things. Yeah, I think Burns here is maybe a potential whiff. He's an honorable mention here. 
uh, for me. I could have put him higher. I probably should have. He had 190 something innings and, and a 3.2 ERA. I probably should have given him some love. But Wheeler really, really, I mean, he did lead fan, baseball in Fangraphs War. Um, and I think if you lead baseball in Fangraphs War, baseball reference war, you should automatically be somewhere in the top five. And so I, I put Zach Wheeler in third, and I, I feel okay about that. I feel bad for him that he's not going to win. I hope he wins one someday because gets involved in the worst scion races possible, but overall pretty good. Two, I had a Zach Gallon. You you put him a little bit lower, but I think we can both agree that the, the case for Gallon is a solid ERA, a lot of innings. Um, you know, he I believe he's second on here in innings to to the guy who's probably your number two and my number one. Um but just an overall really solid all-around case. He just didn't do enough to get over the hump to be one on my ballot and also probably win the award. That's fair. Look, I my number two is Logan Webb. Logan Webb, I think... Logan Webb, I think, is a clear-cut top five pitcher at this point. I, what he's done since 2021 is throw a bunch of innings, prevent runs... Get ground balls. Check out the walk rate's great. Uh, he reacted well. His body seemed to react well to the pitch clock. That's That was a big concern for a lot of guys. A lot of guys got hurt this year. I'm not saying that's like, oh, that's because they're weak and they're so injury prone. It's more like, hey, like that was an adjustment. And data suggested that that was going to be an adjustment for a lot of guys. And for Logan Webb, like, dude, just hat, hats off to him, man. He he really, he did everything he could to keep the Giants season alive. I I hope that everybody walks away from this season feeling like Logan Webb is a top five pitcher. Oh, and yeah, he's 26 years old. He is, I think, the youngest guy on my ballot, which I think is crazy. Yep, so Logan Webb actually is is first on my ballot. He led baseball in innings with 216. The Giants purposely skipped his last start. Uh, he had a 3.25 ERA, really, really, really good uh, peripheral numbers because he had a 62% ground ball rate and like a 4% walk rate. Um, I just think that his level of run prevention paired with the volume, paired with the peripheral numbers, uh, creates just an unbelievably great case. Um, again, extremely biased. He is from Sacramento area. Ooh, another week in a row mentioning Sacramento. Let's go. Um, but again, just a really, really good pitcher. Immensely talented. Lots of fun to watch. Um, and I'm definitely going to be rooting for him in the future. Uh, he'll probably finish second uh, on the ballot. I think most people have recognized that he's very good. I agree with you. I think I think the takeaway should be that, yeah, Logan Webb is really damn good and that he deserves to be on lots of top, uh, you know, top five lists and everything like that. Um, with that said, Blake Snell is going to win. He's number one on your ballot. Explain to our listeners why he's going to win. Yeah, so um, he had by far the lowest DRA in the National League. Um, I think that war isn't perfect. War is not perfect. War should not be looked at as like, if you have 0.1 warm war, you're clearly the better player, especially when we're talking about award decision-making. I understand that. It's a valuable metric. It's just not perfect. Um but like Blake Snell, Wark accounts for volume. B War really likes him, which is more run prevention based. I know F Four doesn't really like him, but that's fine. I know the walks are bad. 
But in a sense, don't the walks like kind of help him a little bit with avoiding damage prevention? Like, would you rather not walk a guy than give up a double? Now, I know that I would sit here and say I would rather walk a guy than give up a double from like a stat padding perspective. Like, I want my guys to have good peripherals because I want to be able to push narratives. I understand that. Um, but I've said this before. Um, I don't know if I've said this specifically on the podcast. But I definitely said this to you. Pitching isn't about just putting up good peripherals. Like sometimes you have to make the right pitching decision. And yes, maybe did he get lucky sometimes? Did he get the cards to go his way? Like saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to walk this guy and I'm just going to get out of this instead of I'm going to walk this guy and then a ground ball that shouldn't get through gets through. And then, uh, you know, a guy is a slack fly and then one run scores and then another sack fly and two runs score. And oh my God, I gave up two runs. What happened? Um, yeah, that didn't happen to him much this year. But you know what? Luck is part of it, right? Like, it could, you know, there are plenty of guys like Aaron Judge getting hurt. Is that not luck, right? Like that's that's bad luck for him. That hurt his MVP case. Um, Corey Seager getting hurt probably hurt his MVP case, right? Um, you know, there. I think luck plays a role in anything when it comes to winning an award. Being healthy is luck. Um, get having a low ERA it requires luck. Like, is Garrett Cole a dramatically better pitcher? We talked about this too. Like, is Garrett Cole that much better as a pitcher this year than he was last year? Probably not that much better, but the ERA says he was much better. You know what I'm saying? So I don't necessarily have to love the process, but it got the results, and that's why I voted for Blake Snell. I, I understand the pushback on it. I understand all perspective here. I don't think it's the slam dunk Cy Young that some people think it is, but um, yeah, I think if you have the results, I'm not going to question the process too much when it comes to award decisions. Yeah, I mean, he has the lowest year, right? The, just the biggest thing really for me and I was consistent on it is I voted for the guy with the most innings in the national league. And then I voted for the guy with the most innings in, in the American league and Blake Snell threw 180 innings, Logan Webb threw 216. I don't know if that makes up the gap in run prevention per se, which is very important, but I do think that makes up the gap when, you know, I consider run prevention volume and, you know, kind of the peripheral numbers, what they were able to control and everything. And ultimately that gap in the, what they can control and the uh, volume is able to make up the gap and run prevention enough for me and have a noticeable difference. And as I said, can't vote for a guy with a 13% walk rate. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, he's, he's going to win. And it's just crazy to think about that. He'll have two Cy Youngs in two different leagues before he turns 32. Um, some honorable mentions for me, Corbin Burns, Kodai Senga, Jesus Lazardo, Mitch Keller, and Justin Steele. Um, all had great seasons. You know, you might see Steele pick up some votes. You might see Senga pick up some votes, and you might see Burns pick up some votes. But I think Lazardo and Keller get some down ballot love. Um, on to the American League Rookie of the Year. So we're only going top three here. Um, my number three, I think we're going to be in agreement on one and two, but three was really, really hard. Some honorable mentions for me were Tristan Casas, Royce Lewis, Yarner Diaz, Eduardo Julian, and Anthony Volpe. But ultimately, I went with Zach Galoff of the A's. Yeah, no, I uh, I, I thought Zach, I actually agree. I, I went with Zach. You, you like talked to me about this before and you're like, hey, Zach Galoff, like, he's having a really good year. And I'm like, yeah, but like, is it that good? I'm like, you know, just kind of going off of like memory of like, I'm pretty sure Diaz is, might be close or whatever. And not that Diaz wasn't close or like, uh, you know, Casas or Noda weren't close, but Keloff, I mean, he had a near three war year and he played like 60 games. Um, I think if Casas didn't get hurt, he would have been here. 
Um, and that sucks for him. Like, I, I think Tristan Casas showed a lot of things that, like, I think he's a really good hitter. I, I like Tristan Casas as a hitter a lot. I know on Twitter, I like, I'm going to be known as like a Tristan Casas hater because of the defense stuff. But as a hitter, he's really good. But Zach Geloff, man, for all of the bad that happened with the Oakland Athletics, at least you had Zach Geloff, right? Like, that's something. And Ryan Noda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. That's it's, they'll, they had something to point to, I guess. They'll be there for four years before you totally. trade them for an organization's like second or third best prospect. But hey, you had them for four years, right? It's what ownership will probably tell you. Yeah, I think Geloff. It just it just became clear. It's like there was no real clear cut best third option, and Geloff's numbers were just really good in a in a sample size of where rookie and rookie of the year voting volumes not incredibly important. So I just went with Geloff there. I thought he was good enough. Um, but we're going to agree on two and one here. Two is Tanner Bibby and one is Gunnar Henderson for you, I assume. Yeah. Um, Bibby, I think if he had like maybe if, if he had 180 innings, I think we're having a little more of a different conversation. Yeah. Which like shout out to like they just both these guys are really talented. Both these guys have good, had good years. I think Henderson's clearly the better talent right now. Um, I Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I'm trying to discuss this. I mean, it's pretty clear who won, who was going to win this. <laughs> yep. It's it. It was more interesting to see who would finish third, which always tells you how interesting the award actually is. Moving over to the National League, I think we're going to be pretty close here. But my third was Kodai Senga. My second, oh no, excuse me. My third was James Outman. I I thought like Outman was my two. Mm. I did you flip? Kodai and Outman, or did you have yeah. somebody else? For yeah. Senga then, would have been like a Cy Young guy for me if he just pitched like 10. If he made like two more starts, I think he might have finished with my Cy Young. I'm not even, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think the out argument here for Outman versus Senga is, I, it just comes down to preference of like, do you prefer a good hitter and a good defender versus a guy who is a borderline elite pitcher at a lower volume? And I don't think there's a wrong answer. I really think that those guys are two and three. I think that if you ask me right now, I think Senga is probably going to finish second and Outman probably third, but I don't think you can go wrong either way here. I mean, it's really, really close. These are both great, great players. Um, number one, it was probably the easiest NL rookie of the year in quite a while. I mean, Corbin Carroll ran away with this award. He's a great player. I, I fully expect him to win MVPs, but here's some honorable mentions for me and, and tell me what you think here, but it could have potentially finished third. Uh, I don't know if Nolan Jones actually qualified for the award here. I had, I forgot to check that, but Patrick Bailey, Bobby Miller, Matt McLean, and Francisco Alvarez. So if you're a Mets fan, you got two guys on here. That's some, that's some reason to be excited. Don't you think? Absolutely. I also, so a guy that like, I, I think like, not that he should get votes. He shouldn't like, just want to clarify, should not get votes. Um, but like definitely was kind of impressive. Um, or at least I think he might have gotten votes over a full season. I kind of like what uh Sal Frillick brings to the table. He's like a really good defensive, just like he's an outfielder, he plays defense. I know that there are a few guys like that. I know there's another guy I'm forgetting, Garrett Mitchell. I know like kind of got off to a hot start too. Um, I this I don't know if uh I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting any Reds guys. I know Ellie the Cruz kind of fell off in the second half. Not kind of, he he very much fell off in, in the second half, but um you know, overall, I felt like in both leagues, this is a really good rookie class. Like, I I was a little bit worried about this one. I thought this year, I was like, man, is this rookie class going to be really good? Who knows? 
and it ended up being really good. Like I, a lot of young guys just got playing time. Like Nolan Jones, I don't think not that nobody expected it, but you know, he he kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. You know, like I don't think anybody expected 3.3 F4 in 105 games with 19 steals and you know, just tearing the cover off the ball. Uh Matt McClain, you know, I don't I think if he didn't get hurt, um, he would have finished clearly in the top three. Uh I, I he finished with 3.2 F4 uh and and outmoves at 4.3. And there is like a 70 game gap in games played. Um, I don't know if McLean was sustained the BAPIP, but I think he clearly would have finished top three if he just like if you prorate the stats. And that's really it. Like, I I I thought this was a really good NL rookie class. Yeah, it was a this was a really good rookie class in general. In total agreement, it was super fun to watch at different times. I think there's a lot of long term potential for guys that weren't even finishing in our top threes. Um, so you know, if like Royce Lewis can find a way to just stay healthy, that guy's going to be amazing. So I'm really excited. Moving on to the Mariano Rivera or the AL Reliever of the Year award. Um, this one gets really tough because it's kind of based on saves and like who was the best closer more than everything. But there are some seasons that are tough to get, you know, to kind of figure out. Um, for me, some honorable mentions were Brian Abreu of the Astros, Jason Foley, Emmanuel Classe, Matt Brash. Um, and this one might be a little controversial, but I have Yiner Cano as an honorable mention but Clay Holmes finishing third. And I think you can very easily argue that they should be flipped. Yeah, that's fair. I honestly, you know, what's, what's kind of weird. Um, I, I think there's a world where like, if Michael King never started, which like he should, I'm glad he started, obviously like a Yankee fan. I'm glad he's starting. Um, if, if Michael King never started, I wonder where he finishes here. Like just as like a, probably would have finished with like a 90 to 80 innings pitched with a go to ERA. Um, my three was Yiner Cano. So I, I think we're lockstep in terms of just like the guys we were looking at as candidates, which is the most objective award. I think like on, like outside of manager of the year, uh, this is like the one where it's like, dude, who's three two? like, how do you even grade this? You can go by ERA innings. Like does leverage matter? How much? I think leverage does matter. It's a, a fickle award, man. Yeah, it's, this is, this is really, really tough. I mean, my second probably isn't going to appear in the top three, but Chris Martin had the lowest walk rate among qualified relievers and had like a one something ERA, like a 1.08 ERA. I felt that was just like too crazy to ignore. And so I put him second. Uh, I mean, again, I don't, what, what is the objective of this award? What are we, are we rewarding the best closer? Cause if not, then it, cause if we are, then Chris Martin shouldn't be here. And maybe Emmanuel Classe should be in the top three, even though he blew a ton of saves, but he still saved like 44 games. Um, but yeah, I don't know what the what what the criteria is here, but Chris Martin finished second for me. Who 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 got your second place vote? Uh my second place vote. Oh, excuse me. I think I said I put Cano third. I meant to say I put Chris Martin third. I, I put Cano second. I went we know I think we know all know who the winner is. I went yeah. with I went all AL East. I think I think Chris Martin had a great year. Chris Martin, as you mentioned, like, is it, uh, is it a, a, a thing about closing? Do you have to close to be like the most valuable high leverage guy? His WPA is great. I use WPA a lot for this. Um, I thought it, it, I think it's more important for relievers than anybody else, just to kind of weed out the guys who pitch in low leverage and the guys who pitch in great leverage, like a two, eight ERA. And you're the closer of your team is different than a two, eight ERA. And you're like the seventh or eighth guy your manager is going to like, I hate to use this example. Cause it sounds like I'm dogging on him, but the Lucas Litke of 
for the Yankees, basically what he was for the Yankees, which was low ERA, but definitely not the first, second, third, or even fourth guy you're bringing out of the bullpen in a close game. Yeah, it it was it was pretty tough. Um, it was a tough award to decide on. Uh, I mean, it it was really really close here, but I think we're in agreement that Felix Bautista wins this award pretty handily. I mean, yeah. It, the domination effect of what he brought was just so crazy good that it, it was really hard to ignore him. It's really sad that he got Tommy John and everything, you know, rushed back and just and just couldn't get it done. But yeah, I, I mean, it's still his award. He he should win. Um, moving to the National League, this one gets really really hard. I think you could argue that there's like seven dudes who could win this award, and and I would totally believe you um my third was david bednar of the pittsburgh pirates bednar was just great this year uh he threw a lot of innings i think he was what third in all of baseball in wpa um he had like 36 saves or something like that he was just really good and he's got great stuff and i could have easily put him first i also easily could have put him fifth or something um but david bednar got my third place vote man you're, you're making such a good case for him to be my third. I want Devin Williams. Devin Williams, I mean, the ERA is just stupid, right? Like, the yeah. WPA is great. The ERA is stupid. The stuff is unbelievable. The guy, I mean, he is automatic. Uh, you can't hit his changeup. He doesn't give up home runs. He doesn't, you know, he just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the 17 So, I put, William, right. I put Williams second, but I easily could have put him first. Williams is amazing. I mean, just so so good. Uh, he, I believe he, as you said, had a seventeen percent swing and strike rate. He had like a one point four ERA. He was truly amazing. He also had thirty two saves or so. Yeah, I mean, David Bednar, Devin Williams, um, and your second place is probably Josh Hader. I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, I, that so Hader was my one, and again. All three of those guys, you could have easily argued for two or three other guys ahead of them. I mean, T- Tanner, uh, Camilo Duvall, I believe he finished second in baseball in WPA. He had around 40 saves, a ton of innings, great numbers and everything. Alexis Diaz, I believe, led baseball in WPA. Uh, if I believe so, anyway. Yes, he did. Um, he's another argument. And then uh, your first place vote, is an interesting choice here. I went with Tanner Scott. Tanner Scott leads baseball, uh, leads all NL relievers in win probability added and in F4. And again, I think leverage matters. How often are you impact? Like how often do you impact wins? The Miami Marlins don't make the playoffs without Tanner Scott. Like I, I think that's important to kind of talk. Like he, they are, they were a, we have to win close games and just kind of hope we don't get blown out and pitch our way to a win, whatever it may be. And Tanner Scott got it done every single time, basically without fail. Um, it's I'm not saying that you have to think he should win this award. I, I want to make this very clear. That is not what I'm implying. But what I am implying is that Tanner Scott was objectively the most impactful reliever in terms of going probability added. And if you just look at raw production, non-leverage uh, you know, stuff, Tanner Scott ranks favorably. He pitched a ton, he prevented a lot of runs, and he controlled the three outcomes well. I... I, I know that the ERA isn't very impressive, but that's that was my thought process there. 
Yeah, I, I think the argument for Scott is super strong because they originally had David Robertson try and close and he was not getting the job done. And so they just threw Scott in that role and said, dude, if you don't work out, we're, we're hosed. And he worked out and he dominated and it really came through for a team that ended up making the playoffs. And, you know, that kind of matters. So, yeah, man, this was a tough award. Aber, uh, Alzale also deserves some consideration here. Jeff Hoffman had a really good year in the Phillies bullpen. It, it was a tough award here. Um, moving to AL Manager of the Year. And so we're getting into the Manager of the Year awards here. And there are not going to be a lot of honorable mentions. I'm just letting you know now because at this point, there's really four people that could win the AL Man- Manager of the Year and maybe like five people for the NL Manager of the Year. Um, maybe six if you can include Brian Snicker. Um, for AL Manager of the Year, my third place was Rocco Baldelli. Who did you have taken third place? I went with Bruce Bochi. I don't. Bochi was my fourth place vote. He was my only honorable mention named. Yeah, I don't. I, I I don't know. Like it's hard to measure impact. Honestly, I should bump him off this for the champagne celebration thing. You, I, I don't. I know you're not that mad about it. I'm livid. I think that's the dumbest thing. I think that's so dumb. Honestly, you know what? Screw it. Rocco Baldelli is three. Bruce Brochi is four. Next time, don't have a champagne celebration and get have a get like blasted with all your guys a day before trying to win the division. You got shut out. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter if they say in the presser it didn't affect us. When you get shut out, you don't get to say that. Um, so you know what? Rocco Bedelli, welcome to the third place vote. You're welcome. Uh, Bruce Bochy, try a little hard next time. Bruce Bochy is a Hall of Fame manager. He's not going to care what I say too deeply <laughs> or anything. But he did oversee a potential, what you could argue, kind of like meltdown. They, they did have a decent-sized division lead, and it did vanish. And they were, you know, a game away from not making the playoffs. So I think that matters a little bit. Um, my second-place vote, I think we're in agreement that these guys are one and two. They're, I, I also think that these are arguably the two best managers in baseball at this point in time. Um, my two is who I think is going to win, and I that's Brandon Hyde. Uh Hyde's a great manager. I'm super happy for him that he gets to stick around and be the manager of the Orioles when they're good because most managers of rebuilding teams, they just get canned and then they bring in somebody to like make them a great team. Uh, and they clearly believe that Hyde is the guy to do that, and they have every reason to. He is phenomenal at his job. And it's clear how much the players love him and respect him and how good he is at the job. So he finishes second here for me, but you could easily make him one. Yeah, I feel like there are people who are like, well, he overused Felix Bautista. UCL injury, those are like elbow stuff is like the second you start feeling the pain there, it's you're, it's kind of a ticking time bomb almost. Like there's nothing Correct. you can really do about that. Without um, shutting down, it's 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 just a matter of when, not if. Yeah, it's kind of like the Jason Dominguez thing where everyone's like, oh my God, they kept playing him after he said his elbow sore. It's like, dude, it was torn by the time. It was, by the time he said something, it was way too late. Like, if if one freak in accident and you're like Max, you can speak to this a lot better than I can. Sometimes it just happens when you're throwing it. So, things just happen sometimes. I, yep. it's unfortunate, and you know, not gonna lie, totally like 
kind of forgot again that he tore his UCL when making that prediction to Baltimore, but that's fine. You know what? I'm going to stick with my guns. Um, but Brandon Hyde, he he deserved man of the year. You you have the one seed AL team, and it is a very young Baltimore team that, you know, sure, maybe some guys were better than they should have been. Who cares? Uh, it, you kept that unit together. And also, like, Aaron Hicks, dude, came from New York, DFA'd, brought him in, and you made him feel comfortable enough to hit well. You know what I mean? Like, good on you, right? Like, there's nothing to argue against it, I feel like. You're two, and I think we're in agreement in this, is that the best manager in baseball, the only guy better than Brandon Hyde, is Kevin Cash, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Cash is, listen, Tampa, hypothetically, is not a place you'd expect for a manager to last a long time. But Kevin Cash has been there for quite a while now. He's in his ninth year. So he's been there, yes, since 2014 or 2015. This but it was his ninth season and there's no sign, you know, he's going anywhere. He's going to be there a long time. He is, he makes every decision backed by something you cannot really argue against. It's got some sort of data to it. He also creates tremendous buy-in from his players on this system. So this is kind of the difference between Kevin Cash and Gabe Kapler, who just got fired. Kapler does a lot of the things that Kevin Cash tries to do in terms of decision-making. But the difference is Kevin Cash's clubhouse believes in it. The Giants didn't. And that was the ultimate difference, is that Cash creates buy-in from every level because they are preaching the same exact thing at every level. You play your role to the best of your ability, and we will find that role for you. And if you do it, we will win a lot, and you'll get a lot of money from somebody else. And Kevin Cash creates that at every level. He is just so good at what he does that it'd be great to see him rewarded with another AL manager of the year because I think he is so clearly the best manager in baseball. But Brandon Hyde deserves it as well. They want they had the best record in baseball. They were a great team. He stuck through the bad years to get to this. It's only fair that he gets to, you know, gets to win this. But man, Kevin Cash and Brandon Hyde, I, I think are clearly so much better than everybody else here. I I, I think we can agree on that. One hundred percent. I think buying is important. There are a lot of teams that can't do certain things because they can't get guys to buy in, right? Like and look, and that's not always on the manager entirely. Like some some other factors can play a role in that as well. You know, you don't know what the personalities you're dealing with are. Maybe, you know, Tampa Bay or Baltimore uh, does a better job of acquiring guys who are more likely to fit. I don't know. Um, but, you know, overall, like as a whole, it's impossible to argue that Kevin Cash and Brandon Hyde shouldn't be one and two, right? Like, yeah, they're clearly so much better. If you're going to say, well, well, oh, bro, you know, uh, th this guy did this or that guy did that, like, who did what? Like, I, nobody, like, Dusty Baker actively tried to make his team worse. I don't know if Bochi did anything to make his team better. I think he was just a manager on a team that took a big step forward. Um, And then what, like, you're going to give it to John Schneider, who, like, everybody in Toronto will tell you is not a great manager. And, like, that's it. Like, it's Rocco Baldelli, and then everybody else didn't make the playoffs. So, Correct. it's clear cut. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty pretty easy here. The NL Manager of the Year gets a little tougher. Um, my honorable mentions are Craig Council and Rob Thompson and Brian Snicker as well. 
I think there's an argument that Council's arguably like the third best manager in baseball. Uh, he's very good. He could easily win this thing. Um, but my number three was Tori Lovello in Arizona. He did a phenomenal job this year. Okay, so my number three is I went with Craig Council. I put him three. I thought he did a pretty good job keeping that team together all year, so that's why I went with. Yeah, I, I think the argument is strong there. I think Arizona just was a little bit better, and Lovello is pretty good at the job. Um, so I, I wanted to give him some recognition. My number two is Skip Schumacher in Miami. I, I think Schumacher deserves credit for making the changes in the bullpen of going to Tanner Scott to being uh, you know, open-minded and how he uses certain guys and certain roles and everything. And they had some injuries and ups and downs and stuff, and they found a way. And you know, it's a solid clubhouse. And I think Skip Schumacher deserves a lot of credit in his first year in the job. So I think we might have our one and two flipped. I went with Dave Roberts. I was really impressed with what the Dodgers did this year. I feel like the Do the reason I went with Dave Roberts too and Skip Schumacher, which I'm spoiling it, but I kind of spoiled it already as my one, was because I just think Roberts had more to work with. And I think, not that Roberts had to do less to get more, but kind of, right? Like, I'm not trying to discredit what he was doing, but, you know, you kind of dabble on the reason I picked Schumacher. Schumacher, like, decision, like, if he, if he says, hey, I'm going to wait another day on Robertson, your season is over. Or, hey, I'm going to pick the wrong guy. Or... Our front office traded for him. I'm just going to wait this out. I think that type of decision is big enough to make you the manager of the year. And in Dave Roberts' case, he if he wins it, he'll deserve it. I'm very – I look, I think he's an overhated manager. I think we – like, there are a lot of, like, why did he do this? Why did he do that? And it's, like, he brought in, like, a really good pitcher, and then they just didn't pitch well. Like, that's just kind of things that happen, right? Or, like, you know, obviously, think of, like, that – the. 2018 World Series is kind of like the thing everyone nitpicks, but like it's that's a while ago, number one, number two. Like I'm pretty sure if you just look through and add a little more context, things are usually better. Things are never, decisions are never as bad as people make them out to be. They're only as, like it's it's only really bad when it doesn't work out, right? Like if any, all those moves worked out, do we really care? And I know that's saying if, 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 but man, the process behind these decisions are fine. They're good. You got a lot out of this team this year. And he got more, he got buy-in as well. Like how many veterans or guys were established stars before did he get to buy in platoon roles or be, you know, more, uh, you know, role players if, if there's the word for that. You know what I mean? Like Martinez is coming from Boston, right? And I know he, he's coming off a little bit of a down year. Um, you know, Jason Hayward coming from Chicago, right? Like DFA, nobody wants him, horrible contract, blah, blah, blah. And you get, you know, I know that that's more player development, but you know, you keep these guys locked in, you keep these guys engaged and you, you win a lot of games. I'm, I'm, I'm more than impressed with Dave Roberts. All the reasons you listed there, but the, the biggest one was again, that, that buy-in that, that was the reason that I went with Dave Roberts. I also went with it because they lost a lot from their previous year. And so his job was certainly a lot harder in terms of how the roster construction was. And I thought this was the best year of his managing career. I thought he just did pushed all the right buttons, got a ton of buy-in from all sorts of groups and everything. And just, he made a lot of things work. Their pitching was an absolute mess and he found ways to get the job done and everything. Yeah. I, I, think this was just a phenomenal job from Dave Roberts. And I agree with you. He's just overhated. Like he is a great clubhouse leader. The players love him. Um, and just a really, really tremendous person. So I, I think I I'll say this. I think Schumacher wins because as you said, like every decision he made had a gigantic impact on their standing in the race. 
And I think that's what's going to convince people ultimately to give it to him. But I think Dave Roberts had a really, really phenomenal year on the job. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's pretty tough. But just to recap, so we both had Shohei Otani winning the MVP. We both had Ronald Acuna Jr. winning the MVP. We both had Garrett Cole winning the AL Cy Young. We differed on the NL Cy Young, but your two was my one. Uh, your one was my four, but Blake Snell's going to win. Um, AL Rookie of the Year, we both had Gunnar Henderson. NL Rookie of the Year, we had Corbin Carroll. Uh, Mariano Rivera, the AL Reliever of the Year, we both had Felix Bautista. It's probably going to be Bautista. Trevor Hoffman Award, I don't know. Take your pick. I have no idea. I really, this this one I really couldn't pick. I really don't know who's going to win. Um, if I had to guess, it's probably going to be Hayter, though, um, because of the low ERA and, and the fact that just he's already won it multiple times. Um, and the award and the voting criteria for those awards is very peculiar. So could be hater. Um, could see Devin Williams or David Bednar or Doval or Scott or Diaz. I really don't know. Um, but AL manager of the year, Brandon Hyde's going to win. Um, we both had Brandon Hyde and Kevin Cash one and two, uh, NL manager of the year. I think Skip Schumacher is going to win, but David Roberts deserves it just as much. And we both had them one and two. So we were pretty, uh, pretty lock and stamp, you know, on the same page here with the award voting. I, I feel pretty good about this, but ultimately, you know, it was a really fun year. There was so much odd, odd stuff that happened that it made it extremely uh, fun to partake in and everything and fun to kind of talk about. We get set to the postseason. We'll again, we'll give our ALCS picks on the next episode. Um, but just uh, kind of looking forward, it's. You know, once once the playoffs get rolling and everything like that, hopefully we're going to crown a potential uh, new champion. I don't think the Astros go back to back. I really don't. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. The postseason should be really fun. Ryan, any final thoughts? Um, I, honestly, I'm I am so excited for this playoffs. I have no idea who's going to win the World Series. It's, Not a clue. It's so up in the air. Last year, you were like, hey, yeah, Houston's clearly the best team in the American League. They can win the World Series. They'll probably win the World Series. Um, Right now, I'm like, every team has a really good reason why they won't win the World Series. I didn't feel that way about the Astros. I didn't even feel that way about the Astros in 2021. I didn't feel that way about the Dodgers or the Rays in 2020. I didn't feel that way about the Astros or the Dodgers in 2019. Like, this year, it's like shoot, I wonder who wins this one. And it'll whoever wins, man, I mean, they'll, they'll, I think it'll be a hard-fought battle. It's going to be a very, very fun race. Uh, before we go, we just want to send our uh, you know, our prayers and well wishes to the Wakefield family. Uh, Tim Wakefield passed away today from uh, brain cancer. Um, very, very sad story. Everything I've heard about Wakefield is that he was a tremendous person, you know, really a legend in this game for how long he lasted with the knuckleball um, and had a great career and everything. And very want to send our thoughts to him, uh, to his family. Um, thank you very much for listening to us this season. We look forward to getting into it, into the postseason. Uh, we still have more fun, special episodes on the way. Um, if you're a Yankees fan, you should definitely want to turn into our next special episode. Uh, remember to rate review and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, and as always, have a great rest of your week.